I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guests today are Chris Hove and Nick Richmond at Matrix Home Solutions, a home remodeling company out of the Chicago area. Nick and Chris, how you guys doing? Fantastic, Mark. Fantastic as always. Good. How are you, sir? How's the weather where you're at today, Mark? Gorgeous. Like 65 degrees, uh, nice little breeze, beautifully sunny out, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, let's go get a dose of that for an hour or two. It's funny how that first sun for us in the Midwest, you get that, even if it's only 60 degrees, but it's, you know, super sunny, you, you get almost red from that sun. It's always a good feeling when you get that first dose of that vitamin D. It is. Nick, we were talking offline about um, how, uh, you know, you grew up playing basketball and how I grew up playing basketball. Have you had a chance to see The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary? I have. Yeah, I, I, of course, being in Chicagoland, we live in Arlington Heights, just a little ways north of Chicago. So naturally, my kids are huge Chicago Bulls fans. I've always been a big Jordan fan. So yeah, we've, we've watched it more than once. Huh. And what'd you think of it? I thought it was great. You know, it was, um, you, you learned a little bit, obviously, about what was going on behind the scenes, which I thought was cool. A lot of it I already expected, just kind of how Jordan you know, worked and pushed and prodded at everyone around him almost in a way that was unbearable probably for some of them. But uh, overall, I would say they captured things well. I know that there was some chatter, Scotty Pippen and a few others that didn't necessarily like how they were portrayed, but mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty well done. My kids love it. They watch it. You know, they don't watch normal things on their iPads. Like most kids are generally they're watching Last Dance. It was funny. We were flying down to Florida when he asked this question and my wife is like sitting a few rows behind me and she runs up and taps me on the shoulder she's like, is it okay that they're watching the last dance mm -hmm. i don't know if they should be watching this I'm like yeah let them watch it it'll be all right that's uh if that's the worst thing that uh your kids are watching then they're doing all right yeah but uh and i'll tell you what i thought that it was really really incredible um obviously one the narrative was awesome just the way that they told the story um but the second is it was highlighting somebody in pursuit of excellence. And I think that's when anyone who's trying to pursue excellence in any area, it's an incredible thing to watch um, the mindset that they have around being the absolute, absolute number one best in anything. And that's what Michael Jordan was doing that entire documentary. Um, and obviously I think a lot of folks got, you know, pretty, um, they were a little taken aback by, you know, the, the times when he would, uh, you know, beat up his, his teammates, uh, both like, you know, physically in one time, but you know, mostly, uh, it just like beat him up, uh, verbally. Um, and also just the way that he pushed the team. And that definitely, uh, was a little you know, off-putting for some folks, but at the same time, um, like I get what was going through Michael Jordan's head. Obviously I don't get it to the level he has, but I, I get that it takes a very different mindset. It takes being different in order to achieve what Michael Jordan achieved. You can't just do what everyone else is doing and get there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I'm pop. We have a thread we share. I was actually just looking at it on my phone to find a few of them, but we have a, a sales thread where all of our reps are on this group me app. And we're always firing chatter out there and posting sales. And uh, I oftentimes post a lot of Michael Jordan quotes, you know, because they're just classic, timeless quotes. And I think that his whole 
experience of having failed and having that failure be the fuel that drove him every day. I think you can liken that to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs like myself or like you, Mark or Chris. I mean, most of the guys I talk to, especially who are successful, have had that failure at some point, And that's the thing that's really driving them. And uh, so I think that's the thing that hits home for me when I, even when I was a kid watching him, I thought, man, to have failed to not make the varsity team, you know, and, and be, become the greatest athlete, not just basketball player, potentially in the history of the world, is pretty remarkable. So if that can't get, you know, an entrepreneur or a sales rep or any, anybody in the business world excited, I don't know what can. There's so much crossover. Um, Nick, and in, in, you started Matrix in, in 2009 or somewhere around there? 2009, yeah. And what was that like starting it up just when you are, you had nothing and you were starting from scratch? Like how did, how did that go? Well, it really started for me in 2002 when I began selling replacement windows for a company out of Flint, Michigan, where I was born and raised. My brother and I were both there working at the time. My brother was their top rep in the organization. And then fast forwarding a few years later, we decided like a lot of the top sales reps tend to do that we should start our own company because we know how to sell and, you know, why are we making this company all this money? We could, we could be making it for ourselves. We could work less hours, have a better work-life balance and make even more money. Right. <laughs> and we were really successful actually for a handful of years. We did a nice job building a nice company over there in Southwest Michigan. And then when the economy failed in 2007, eight, nine, when the home improvement lending went away, we were basically decimated like most small to medium sized companies or even companies that just didn't have their metrics and their margins all in line. And we went out of business and we, we took a beating uh, personally and professionally mm. back to the Jordan thing and failure. So I think it's important I throw that in because most people probably know Nathan Richmond who basically turned Mad City around. And I just got a text from him yesterday. Their goal this year is $150 million in business. Um, and that's a pretty quick growth from, from just, I don't know, 13 years ago or whenever it was, he took the reins Wow, up there at Mad City. It was at that time in 2009 when he went to Mad City that I decided to, to start Matrix. So my journey was a little different. He stepped into a company that was kind of defunct, that needed to be turned around, and he, mm -hmm. he was that guy, whereas I was starting from scratch. I don't know what's harder, to step into something that has some good things going on, but it's kind of screwed up, or just starting from scratch. And I started from scratch and it was pretty wild looking back, Mark. I mean, I was doing this out of the spare bedroom in my apartment. I had, I probably didn't have, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. In fact, I, I wasn't just broke, but I was in a hole looking up, trying to get back to grade level. And, but I just had a, I had a lot of confidence and I had a lot of belief. I knew that we were going to be successful. I never doubted the fact that we were going to be successful. Um, I knew how to go into a home and sell and execute a sale at the kitchen table with a homeowner. So I knew if I just had a lead and an opportunity that that could be the, the spark that could light the fuse that could ignite this, you know, growth. And I think this year, Chris, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but we're, we'll probably, we won't be able to touch those mad city numbers, but you know, we're looking at a $60 million goal for 2021. So, um, you know, I'm proud, I'm proud of what we've accomplished and, but looking back on it, to not go into too many details. I mean, to say it was crazy what I went through for at least the first five years would be an understatement. 
maybe we do some details. Uh, how, uh, how is it crazy? Well, I mean, so I was working for champion window company at the time, just to kind of pick myself back up. I, I went there to learn the market, to make some quick money. And I was using, I was borrowing their champion window, uh, S 10 pickup truck to get to and from my leads because I didn't have enough money to afford my own vehicle. And at the same time I was trying to start matrix and we had this great basement panel system that we were buying from another company that was making it. We knew we, and we knew uh, that that was enough differentiation to go into a home and make a sale. I didn't know much at all about, you know, electrical and plumbing and how to spec everything properly and what to sell things for. I was clueless as to all that, but I still decided to put money down on an event that we did a trade show build a display and stand in front of it for three days and hawk homeowners for the potential of getting in front of them to talk about finishing their basement. I lined myself up with probably seven or eight appointments that following week, went to Kinko's, created a brochure, created a contract, had no idea what to sell things for, had no idea what the heck I was even doing, but I had a sample of the wall system, a brochure I made at Kinko's, a contract I made at Kinko's and business cards I made at Kinko's and an S10 champion window pickup truck. And I sold, believe it or not, the first lead I ran, I sold it. Had, I, I think I sold it for $22,000. We probably broke even, if not lost money on the project. I had to do, I had to do a bunch of funky things with the financing. I, if I remember correctly, they, they didn't qualify for all the financing. So I had to take some of the payments from them in like stages over time. I was in like a desperation mode. It was Feast or famine, it was close a sale or else I wasn't going to be able to put gas in that S10 pickup truck that I was driving around. So, you know, that's part of the craziness that I experienced was just literally winging it from the ground up with, with no resources behind me, learning everything the hard way through cost prohibitive trial and error. We probably did 200 basements before we even could figure out how to price out a basement the proper way, what to sell an item for. Um, you know, and, and, and so cash flow, you know how that is when you're starting up a company, playing the game on Friday of, you know, what vendor am I going to pay today and who's going to have to wait? How am I going to make payroll? You know, all, all those things that come with being in a startup mode and, and struggling to figure things out as you go. So, I mean, we, we, we went through a lot, you know, like they say in Glengarry, you got to have brass balls. You know, it, it, you had, I mean, you had to have some big ones back then because coming out of the recession, you know, most people were, were licking their wounds and they were, and, and they were crying in their, their milk, you know, over the, over the, what happened to them. And I just said, screw that. I know where I made my, my mistakes and I understand why we took a hit because we weren't diligent enough with other aspects of the company, like <laughs> cost accounting, making the right margins on, on the projects we were selling. It was more than just make a lead, make a sale. There's all these other mm -hmm. moving parts that we had to figure out. And so, you know, there's so many different things I can tell you that we did that were crazy. Hiring and training sales reps and incentivizing them in ways that we weren't even sure that we could, we could deliver on. You know, if you do a million dollars this year, I'll buy a Rolex. And then they do a million dollars and you look at the bank account and you're like, man, the Rolex I got to buy this guy is more than the money I have in the bank account to buy it with. You know, just really interesting memories that, that I could go on and on about probably for the entire duration of this podcast. But I've been through it all. Now the, the, the situation here is much different now 
and it has been over the last handful of years. I mean, we were doing very well, but it took an awful lot to get to this point. And I've wore every hat in the company. I mean, I've, I've gone out and helped oversee installs. I guess the one thing I haven't really done is swung the hammer. You wouldn't want to see that. I probably can't hang a picture, but I, you know, I've, I've worked in the call center, setting and making appointments, the call center being me, myself and I, I've worked at shows and events. Obviously I've ran plenty of leads. I've been on the end of collecting money from happy and disgruntled homeowners. I've oversaw the financing and the financials. I used to do payroll for all the subcontractors. I mean, I wore every hat in the company for quite some time before we were able to start scaling. So it, it's been a really interesting ride to get to this point. Nick, how did you learn the things that you needed to learn? I mean, it kind of goes back to the whole Jordan thing, right? It's like everything I learned came through trying something, failing, but being quick and being, you know, having a high sense of urgency to recognize, okay, I tried that that way. That didn't work. You know, I'm not going to cry for a month over what just happened. I'm just going to recognize it, find the solution. Hmm. And then when I really began to grow was when I began to reach out to people outside of this camp. So I, I made the mistake a lot of entrepreneurs did, which, which was, I think I kind of had a know-it-all attitude for a handful of years, you know, and probably up through the first seven years, I, I was pretty hard-headed and for good reason, because I was also in a different mode, which was sell or you don't eat. But then as I began to reach out to the mentors that I had around me, and I, I humbled myself to even hire and pay other people for help too. Um, spent a lot of time talking with my brother, Nathan, who, who's done a great job up there. For example, it's nice to have a brother who's really successful that knows what he's doing that you can call anytime. Mm -hmm. So it was a combination of cost, cost prohibitive trial and error, and then also reaching out to people and not trying to reinvent the wheel and figure everything out on my own was when we really started to see things uh, evolve here. Nick, I, I totally get that. Um, and you know, had a, a similar experience on the, on the Balto side um, where, you know, I, I wouldn't say in the beginning that we were know-it-alls because I think we recognized, you know, we started the company young. I was 23, maybe. Um, and um, so I wouldn't say we were know-it-alls, but uh, we, I think, rejected the importance of experience. We said, doesn't matter if you've had any experience, you know, uh, experience is just uh, accumulating a lot of learning over time. Anything that you've learned through experience, we could pick up off the internet and do ourselves. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't quite that aggressive. It wasn't like we were, um, you know, full out rejecting experience, but definitely didn't appreciate what it's like when you have people on your team that have done it before and not just have done the activity once and have a way of, of doing it again, but have the perspective that they got after doing it when they can look back and say, aha, here's how that fit into the bigger picture. Um, I think it's such a critical tr uh, turning point for any business, but I wouldn't give it up. You know, if I were to go back again and say, you know, you can either bring in experts and on, you know, uh, in the first day, or you can you know, build the business scrappy from scratch, I would do it scrappy again because sure of the ability to kind of run the motions and everything. And I'm sure you'd agree there's a certain level of comfort knowing that you could probably encounter or deal with just about any challenge and not get too rattled by it, 
you know, and that's something that I, I would never want to give up is all those experiences that made it so that I'm kind of bulletproof from the standpoint that, you know, I don't get rattled very easily. And then if I ever had to scale, you know, in the other direction and get nimble, you know, I could do that too, because I did have the opportunity to wear every hat and learn everything from mm-hmm. the ground up. So, you know, I, I'm capable of being a one-man wrecking crew or leading a 300 employee army, you know, either way, we can go either way. I'm sure that's true for you too. So, you know, you don't get that as an entrepreneur unless you go through that journey. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so Chris, you are one of the experts that uh, Nick brought on his team. You are the leveling up. Um, what was um, Matrix like when, when you first uh, saw the company and when you first came on? It was completely broken and Probably 30 days later, it was completely fixed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a, it was an awesome organization. Um, I'm, I'm going to take one step back, Mark, before I answer your question, because I think it's pretty important to recognize. Um, I've worked for a lot of people over the years, and I've been around a lot of people, and I've always felt like I was here when it came to my drive, and everybody else was you know, somewhere down below. Um, the reason that I'm at Matrix still um, is because this organization is full of people that have that drive that's up here. Um, Very few people that I've ever met in my life could even come close to Nick's uh, drive and determination and work ethic. Um, He truly wakes up every morning broke. And and I don't mean that in like he's really broke, but he wakes up with that mentality every day. Um, You know, when he says it's make a sale or, or you can't make the you know, buy the gas for the S10, he still wakes up that way every day, that hunger. Um, and it's inspiring, right? Um, it's also motivating because you don't want him to see things that you should have seen um, because he'll be in the weeds. Like he'll be talking about a $80, you know, credit card charge. What is this? And, and why am I seeing that? He's in the weeds and, and he makes you level up your game so that he doesn't see something before you do. So um, he's a great leader and, and that's why I'm with Matrix um, and, and why I love being here. Um, he's also empowering, right? If you earn his trust, he lets you take the reins on things and just drive with it. And as long as he doesn't see a reason to you know, take your keys. So um, when I got to Matrix, they were uh, an awesome company that had a ton of good things going for them. Um, you know, the production team was awesome. The sales team was awesome. Um, marketing was great right and so i came into a pre-built um vessel for success that i was able to you know inject some technology into that simply helped us to level up a little bit um you know in particular the call center technology made a big difference for us um and so that was probably the you know my i guess portion of you know bringing things up a little bit was the call center. Um, and Nick's given me the reins to, you know, a few things since then. Um, you know, I do most of the marketing, um, but the call center technology is kind of the, the great change that, that I think that I was able to implement that simply because of my background uh, and some of my tech abilities, um, which are sorely lacking in this industry. I'm, I'm sorry to say in some ways, and of course, in other ways, I'm not sorry to say, cause I get to earn a living because of it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris on the tech side, um, it's funny. I think that it, you could really break it down into pre-COVID, post-COVID, and you could say pre-COVID. I felt that, um, as in a lot of industries, home improvement in particular, there is this natural skepticism that around a technology, which is like, 
we're meeting customers and, and, and building homes. Like, you know, what do you want from us? You know, we're not supposed to, you know, have, you know, super special dazzling technology. It's just about uh, meeting customers and doing jobs. Um, and then I think that perhaps this last year, it showed everyone like, whoa, there's an efficient way, an effective way to meet customers and do jobs. And then there's um, a super manual, repetitive, less organized, less collaborative way. Which way do you want? So I'm curious, you know, on your side, you know, what are some of the, the tech innovations that, um, you know, that you've seen with Matrix that you think the home improvement industry in general would be smart to start adapting? Well, so we were really fortunate. Um, you know, we had a good year last year, so it gave me some latitude, um, you know, when it came to adding some additional items to our tech stack. Um, you know, Balto, call source, um, you know, we were, of course, using 5.9, but basically some tools that gave us great insight into what was happening from pretty much anywhere, right? Um, my goal was always to find a way to let Nick stay tanned, which means that he can be anywhere um, and still see what his company's doing um, at any level. So pre-COVID, we had a dialer. Um, all of our information was cloud-based. Um, we had Balto, we had CallSource. Um, and so everything that we were doing was cloud-based. We were doing it in a physical location, uh, but that didn't prohibit us from doing it anywhere. We just hadn't really thought about the fact that somebody could work from home. Um, you know, it was always, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, if you can't see them, you know, you can't, you can't control the minutia that you need to in order to have a successful call center. Well, fast forward and what was it, March 15th, Nick, um, that Friday, you were like, all right, see y'all later. Um, we got to figure this out. It was kind of great because we sent computers home and they plugged the computers in as long as they had internet they were working exactly the same as they were when they were at Matrix. Um, so we're blessed in a lot of ways to have had a great year leading up to that and having had the ability to, to leverage some of these technologies to improve our physical location, not even thinking as much about the fact that we could find ourselves in a position where everybody would have to be remote. Uh, and now we have people who work remote. Um, you know, as long as they perform, they can stay remote. Um, as people become more experienced and they perform, um, it's actually a reward. You know, they can go work from home. And as long as their numbers stay true and, and they're doing a great job, we don't see any reason that we necessarily have to have everybody back here, which frees up a little bit of, you know, Nick and Brian bought a building um, about a year and three months ago, and it was significantly larger than the building we had before. And, and we're nearly at capacity already um, in, in this particular building. So the fact that we're able to host people out of here is giving us a little bit of breathing room before they have to make another large investment. So. Wow. So are you guys planning to be uh, fully remote contact center going forward? Is it optional? Is it optional if there, your results are there? Like what is your guys's uh, remote you know, in work plan look like? So I will be looking at the potential to have 300 million people in our in our talent pool right which is the whole us but there is something that's kind of beautiful about the the tempo of a really busy call center mm -hmm. it's motivating it's inspiring um, on the other hand we have sales teams that are working remotely all day long and, and we've found ways to stay motivated um, you know with some group chats and things like that where you know 
always firing, firing each other up that way. So I don't think that there's a solid plan there, Mark, that we have to do one or the other. I think that we'll do a hybrid model um, and it's basically on a case by case basis. If somebody, if it makes sense for them to be remote, um, then they'll be remote. If they need to be here, then they'll be here. We have that the luxury of doing both. Makes sense. Um, Nick, one of the things I imagine that you've seen uh, both as people went remote this past year and also just as uh, you know, Matrix grew and as Grasso grew, um, one thing I imagine that you've seen is you're thinking about how you can make sure that the standards that you had pictured on day one of you know, how your company would talk with customers, how your company would deliver uh, the product and, and the service, how you know, all the ways that, that you wish everyone would do things that um, you wanted to make sure those standards uh, are kept and maintained and that there's a culture and community around being the best. Um, you know, how do you instill that into the company, you know, in, in, in 2021, especially when, when folks are now, um, you know, remote at least, or at least partially remote? Yeah, I think the, Man, the management team is obviously the fish stinks from the head down, as they say, right? So, the better I am at motivating the management group, and the better then the better they become at manage, managing and motivating the team underneath them, and it trickles down from there. So, our, our, if anyone's coming in here frequently, it's the management team to make sure that they're dialed in and focused first and foremost, um, and then it makes it a little easier to to have that expectation over those who are remote. Um, that maybe wear fewer hats and have less responsibilities. The other thing is when we train people, we bring them in here from the outset physically. They are training here in our training room. They're in the call center physically for some time before they're released. So they're getting a healthy dose of the culture, the energy, the expectations prior to then going remote. So I think it's really important that there's that kind of cadence leading up to when you might release someone to go remote. I think to, to try to replicate what we do the way we do it, having them remote from the outset, I don't think we would have the same results and we'd, we'd, we'd find that to be more of a challenge. Um, but when they're nurtured from, from the beginning in a certain way, then once, they, once they're released, it, it's a little bit easier. I find that you know, most of our sales team is remote. I still am quite involved with our sales team here. I can jump on a Zoom meeting and motivate my sales team really well because they know me pretty well. You know, they, they know me. It's not like I'm some foreign guy that they're all, they've only seen through Zoom. Does that make sense? So I think it, mm -hmm. it, it should start with physical interaction for them to really get to know you and get to understand your level of passion, your level of commitment, your, your, your expectations. They can see how you operate too. I mean, how am I able to motivate my team well, they know I'm ready, willing, and able at any moment to go out and outwork them any day of the week. You know, so I think it's important for them to see that too and not just feel like they're this cog in the wheel that's working remotely, being prodded to perform. You know, they come in, see that from the beginning, get a dose of that. Now we release them. I think that model works really well. And that'd that's be the model I'd point. recommend. Yeah, I it, mean. It's such a good point. Um, you know, even... Uh, companies that do full remote uh, probably want to be thinking about what is the interval that you get people back together? Is it 
uh, everyone comes together quarterly for a quarterly celebration? Is it that you have an absolute banger of a Christmas party? Um, like what is the cadence where, yeah, (laughs) I, I, you know, it's funny. There's a company in the solar space that, um, I got to know pretty well a couple years ago. Um, and they had the craziest Christmas party I'd ever seen. They rented out this giant, gorgeous luxury hotel. And they had, um, like this, like person completely dressed up like a Darth Vader costume, like going around the party. Um, And uh, I think there was like, like not fireworks, but they were shooting different jet streams, colored jet streams out in the air. Um, uh, I think it was a chocolate fountain. I mean, it was, it was wild. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I've thought about that ever, you know, for the last couple of years wondering, um, maybe there is a place for that. Maybe there's a real ROI that you can get. And I hate to take it back to ROI for a second, but you know, you gotta be looking at the bottom line. There's a real ROI behind getting everybody together and creating the shared memory of this experience uh, for everybody in person. So one of my one of my mentors was a man by the name of Nino Vitale. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before, but Nino is the founder of Timo Sunrooms in Clinton Township, Michigan. And Nino and I, when I was young, especially had a really strong relationship. We were a Timo dealer. You know, he's old school Italian. Um, and his big thing was coming down to Clinton Township so we could go out to Ernie's, which was a real high-end restaurant down there. And he was, he was like, he was like a celebrity to us for one, just because of who he was. But then it was how he always treated you when you would go to see him. I mean, he would take us and our sales team out and literally fill the table with more food than we could possibly eat. And he used to draw, let's see if I can find a way to draw this for you. But he used to draw on paper, these two, I'll show you real quick, see if you guys can see this. So he would draw this little picture and he would say, do you know what this is right here? You know what that is? That's belly to belly. This is a belly to belly business. And he used to tell me that all, like every single time I would see him. And I finally said, you know, I've, I've seen the drawing enough now. Yes, I know. I know what it is. It's belly yeah. to belly. But the point is, you know, he instilled that in me and in my brother. And I would say that, you know, we're not the only ones doing this and we're, we don't know it all, but I would say that we've, been overly generous with our team as it pertains to parties, mm-hmm. get-togethers, Rolex watches. I mean, I've bought, I don't even know how many watches now I've bought for these guys. My brother has bought guys a Cadillac. I think his top rep last year got a check for $50,000. And these are big, like, award ceremonies that we do, like you're describing. Mm-hmm. And everyone really looks forward to that, don't they, Chris? I mean, even even 100%. the rest of the team, the, the other folks who are invited that aren't just sales reps, they bring their spouse, significant other, they get dressed up. Who doesn't love recognition? I mean, recognition, in my opinion, is key. Once people are trained, they know what to do, how to do it. They've proven they can do it. What's the thing that stands in the way between them doing it once in a while or consistently and all the time? And I think that's how well can you motivate them and how Mm -hmm. often? So I think it's hard because this world we're in now doesn't necessarily set up well for that. But you know what? What's the worst of two evils? You know, I we all stay remote. We never get together because we're so afraid or do we take the chances that we know are necessary in order to make sure everyone's continuing to grow. And I think the culture we've, sorry, I have a leaf blower outside my window here at the most inopportune time. Um, 
But the point is, you know, we also, I believe, have been very cautious and we've been following the regulations and, and so mm -hmm. forth, but we never really shut down either. And I, I believe that my team appreciated the fact that I was willing to keep the doors open here and safely have people here because a lot of people need that. You know, a lot of people need that interaction. Mm -hmm. They don't do well in isolation, you know, not just from a professional standpoint, but psychologically. So, you know, I, I think it's super important that, um, you know, that companies don't lose sight of that and don't get, in some ways, I think, and we, we, we skipped our Christmas party this year, right? So yeah, normally we do two big Christmas parties, one in Detroit, one in Chicago. I probably spend $50,000 every holiday season on Christmas parties. So when we didn't have one this year because of COVID, we kind of jokingly behind the scenes laughed and said, well, we just saved 50 grand. But then I thought about it and I'm like, how, I wonder how many millions that cost us mm -hmm. by not being able to do that, by not being able to have those parties. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was talking about uh, with my fiance uh, just last night is I was saying, if you could snap your fingers and then uh, 2019 dust sprinkles over the entire world and your life is exactly the same, everything is like it is, but it's 2019. All the technology that's been invented since 2019 is gone. It's the exact same uh, world that you live in now, but there's no new technology and no COVID. So you, you got to drive to work, you got to get up, you got to commute. There, no one's doing virtual. That's crazy. Who would do that? Um, would you do it? And we had that conversation. Um, and it's a tough question. It's a tough question because, you know, one of the things I think a lot of us are feeling is that, yes, this is so much more convenient. Um, this is more efficient. We save money doing this. Um, but I, I think there's also like a bit of happiness that, that is missing for a lot of folks in the, the, the environment of like being physically near other people. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's not the same on Zoom. Maybe it will be one day. Uh, as we all get used to it. Um, but I think a lot of folks would snap their fingers and sprinkle the 2019 dust over everything. I'll give you an example. I mean, this month didn't start off very hot for us. Um, we've been averaging a little over 5 million a month in that business with a goal of over 60 million for the year. January, February, it came out like a rocket ship. Halfway through March, we were sitting at about a million and some change. So we were significantly behind pace. Now we already had it planned due to the goals being met the month prior that we were gonna take the sales team and meet up in, at the halfway point between our Detroit and our Chicago locations. So we got a, a limo bus in Chicago, a limo bus in Detroit, and we met halfway in Battle Creek, Michigan at the Firekeepers Casino. And I got like, whatever it was, 27 rooms for all the guys and we had meals and we had some drinks and we did some gambling stayed up way later than we should have probably on a Tuesday. Um, and then we got back to business and I don't think it's coincidence that after a few days passed after the recovery period ended from the get together, I don't know what we've done Chris since then, but somewhere in the neighborhood of three and a half million over the last two weeks. Yep. So, I mean, that's a 7 million a month plus pace that we saw after that gathering we did in Battle Creek, Michigan. I knew going into it that that was what was going to happen. I knew that if we were to get everyone together, 
and have fun. I get the opportunity as the owner to rub shoulders with the guys and, and, you know, help them, you know, remember that there is upward mobility here and that we do want to continue to grow and talk with them about their future uh, plans and, and where do you see yourself in five years? I had a lot of those conversations with the guys and then boom, we set the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just something you cannot do through zoom, right? Um, you can try, but nothing's better than the old Nino Vitale belly to belly. Right. Um, but you know, obviously I think you can take some of these efficiencies, savings that you mentioned. And then my advice would just be parlay that into a much more robust gathering when you do have the opportunities to have them. Yeah. So it's memorable, you know, and there's a little bit of a longer lasting effect. You know, one thing that I think came out of this, Nick was, um, you know, in the home, all of these, these sales reps are, they're like wrestlers, right? Um, when they're on the mat, it's a, it's a one-on-one and that's all there is to it. But we hadn't done a great job prior to COVID and, and maybe, maybe there were times when we did a better job. Um, but in my tenure year here, it seems like we hadn't done as good of a job of making people feel like they were part of like some smaller teams. Right. And COVID is, I, I think pushed us into finding some some different ways to make people feel like they're part of a team and not just the matrix team, but some smaller teams that that have some goals that have some competitiveness between them. I think that's been huge um, for morale and motivation and and just general nonsense conversation that keeps people engaged in what they're doing outside of those moments that they're actually in the house selling. Chris, can you talk about goals and competitiveness between teams? What sort of stuff you guys have done there? <laughs> Every day, um, you know, we're talking about Michigan versus Illinois or baths, you know, Illinois baths versus Michigan baths or basements versus basements. Um, and it's all fun, right? We all wish the best for each other. We all have the same overarching goals. But the fact is that there's some true competitive spirit between these sort of separate but the same entities um Mm -hmm. you know they're they're distinctly different because of their physical locations um but ultimately they're part of the same team um and a lot of the bonuses and things like that are broken down by those teams you know there's some side bets that happen um as management we we throw around some side bets that make people know that we believe in them um and I think Nick we we also do a, a pretty good sized bonus for the teams that the team that wins um, and they're, you know, team captain and, and stuff like that, that gets to determine how those bonuses get distributed. So some really fun stuff like that. Um, and then Nick is super generous when it comes to, you know, when we have a BHAG and, and we happen to hit it, um, he spreads an awful lot of that money around, um, and whether it's gifts, whether it's trips, whether it's, you know, actual cash. Um, I, I think the atmosphere is just really, really great. And I think COVID is, has made it necessary to do some of that because you don't have as much of the physical interaction. Yeah, and the foundation, Mark, of, of, of it all, in my opinion, is that everyone's lockstep philosophically. You know, there's a, there's a philosophical element of what we do that I think is overlooked in the home improvement industry. And back to Chris coming on board and, and being, you know, he, he was pretty nice about it but I mean we were we were when Chris came on board we were we were doing great but I mean the the call center on the other hand was much different than it is now 
Mm-hmm. Um, but philosophically, though, that was one thing that was laid, that foundation was laid very well, which is that, you know, a lead is a lead is a lead. Sense of urgency is key. So we can't become complacent. When an inquiry comes in, we need to be on that inquiry. And the nanosecond it comes in, mm-hmm. we're not going to speculate. Doesn't matter where they live, what the household value is, what they say they want to do with their with their project. We're going to have a conversation with them in a certain fashion. You know, so we we've always had that good philosophical foundation, um, and then the expectations of the sales reps when you show up to the home. You know, you show up on time. You're following this methodology. You're going to do a masterful presentation. You're not going to prejudge the opportunity or sell your way out of that house. So that philosophical foundation, I think is so important too, because if that's not there and you try to do this virtual remote organization, and especially if the guys are talking and interacting a lot more like they are, our guys, our sales reps are talking to one another now, probably more so than ever before. Really? They are lonely. They are lonely, Mm -hmm. right? They're, they're on an Island now. So I'm sure they're talking to each other. I know they are. So when, we, we, we abstain from parking lot meetings, we call them. You know, when everyone was coming in physically, we used to talk about parking lot meetings. I don't want to see any parking lot meetings where everyone's out there with stinking thinking, talking about all the bad leads they've been getting lately, having that pity party out there that is not allowed here at Matrix. If it's found that you're doing that or participating in that, you will be dismissed. So that, that culture was set from the beginning. So now as they're talking and interacting, my hunch is that they're motivating each other and they're holding each other accountable to that standard. If that standard didn't exist and they were having those conversations, who knows what those conversations would look like? Mm-hmm. We probably wouldn't stay in business and I'd have to tell everybody, get your butts back in here. You know, mm-hmm. So I think that philosophical foundation has to be one of the most concentrated areas before you go down the road of trying to do a more remote organization. I, I totally agree. And what, what's so interesting about negative thinking and positive thinking is that you know, when folks want to complain or, or say that something's not going well, um, they're looking for that instant gratification. They're looking for that just moment where they feel like they were heard and they let off some steam. Um, so they're looking for the moment. But what it's hard to conceptualize is, well, what if you were a company where you had a million of those moments? That would suck. You would not want to be a part of that company. So even though you in the moment want to, you know, try to complain and let off steam, um, it you that is one piece of a greater environment that you have a responsibility to make the best environment you can. I think your no complaining rule or no parking lot meeting rule is is freaking genius. There's an important thing also about the venue for those complaints, right? Um, if you want to complain about a lead or you want to complain about maybe a, a general string of leads or some trends, the time to do that isn't when you leave the house, right? Because it sounds an awful lot like an excuse and like you maybe went in there with that preconception. So if, if, if there's a problem, um, you know, maybe you're trying to hold somebody accountable for something they should have done but didn't, um, the moment for complaining can't be allowed right then, right? When somebody comes out of a lead, they can't complain about the lead. If they want to have a conversation at nine o'clock in the morning and say, you know, hey, Nick, I've, I've noticed that this is going on, um, you know, with a good portion of my leads. Um, it's not impacting how, I, how, I'm, how I'm approaching things, um, but I am noticing this. That's a productive conversation. Yeah. And I think that as leaders, we're pretty cognizant about when we allow people to, to have those, you know, those gripe sessions, because they're important. People do have to feel like they're heard, but it can't be in, a, in that in moment where 
they just experienced it because you don't want to cause them to think that you are agreeing that that's that it's appropriate that they're having those thoughts right now, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that makes 100% sense, but when you allow that to happen is really important. You're breaking the philosophical foundation when you as a manager invite and condone a conversation immediately after an appointment where you're allowing for excuse making and you're looking at the, the reasons and the ways for why we didn't make the sale as opposed to the reasons and the ways where we could have made the sale. You know, so that has to be constant Every time there's interaction, we can't have any equivocation there because otherwise you got a hole in the boat now and that reps numbers are going to tank and they're going to fall apart mentally and you might as well let them go right then and there and let the manager go too because <laughs> we've seen that, haven't we, Chris, over time where we had a hard yep. time getting management to accept that. Um, but we're, we're in a much better place now that from that standpoint, which is making this environment we're in a lot easier that everyone has that mindset. And it's hard not to have that personal, like, I feel for you, right? Because yeah. if we stopped and talked about it, you probably have a valid point. But not allowing yourself to talk about it in that moment is so important to the, to the philosophical view that everybody has and their ability to even hold themselves accountable. Yeah. Uh, Chris, we have a value at Balto. Uh, we only have three values. Um, and one of them is leadership is ownership. And we say, see the problem, do the solution, own the result. Um, it's not that we don't want people to see problems. In fact, please like, go find problems. Like obviously, you know, put it in the right bucket in, in your brain, but go find problems. If you find things that aren't working, wonderful. Um, it's that it then needs to be followed up with like something positive, with a step forward, with some progress. Um, and, you know, we encourage folks at Balto who, um, you know, notice anything that's not working as well as it could to then do the solution. And we say that you should do the solution in some way, shape or form. You can MVP it, minimum viable product, really basic version of the solution. You don't need to, um, you know, let's say that you're having a problem with a certain type of lead. Maybe there's... Um, a, um, a lead source that that lead came from that you've noticed that all those leads aren't working. Well, you can't just, you know, go complain to your manager that the lead source sucks. Um, you know, what we, we'd recommend is you say, perfect, you're noticing a pattern. Um, then what is the solution? Is the solution that you put together a, like an analysis on how this lead converts at a lower rate than this lead? And, you know, with some recommendation of shifting dollars from this source to that source, um, is there some way that you can be a part of the change? Um, and folks want to be a part of the change. Like people don't want to just point out problems and let other people deal with it. Like, I think that everyone enjoys the ownership of being the person that made something better. And if we focus on that second part, the solution of making something better, it creates a really, uh, balanced environment to be mentioning problems in the organization. Those parking lot meetings can be really productive if you've got the right champion, you know, yes. at the meeting, right? So if you have somebody who recognized that there was a problem and they came with a potential solution to it and you go, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's something that we should address. What do you recommend? And then they make a, a suggestion, go, all right, let's beta this thing, right? Let's have you test it out and see if there's legs there or not. Um, the conversation that happens around that person when maybe a manager isn't there 
is vastly different than the person you go, just shut up and go sell your leads like you're supposed to, right? Yeah. Um, and that person will all of a sudden become a champion for the organization and say, no, actually, guys, just so you know, I address this, and, and here's one of the things that was suggested and that we're moving on right now. It's completely different. Listening to the organization is one of the most valuable things any company can do, or listening to the, the, the people in the organization. What do you guys think your call center environment is going to look like in a decade from now, in 2030? There won't be one. Say more? There won't be one. I mean, realistically, Mark, I'm not sure that two years from now that we'll have a call center that looks anything like the call center that it does right now. Um, as, you know, some of this stir, shake and stuff, um, you know, mm. which, is, which is basically hardcore identification of who you are. Um, becomes the only way that you can get through to people and calls are being blocked at the network level. Um, you know, if there's any potential for spam, this stuff's real. I mean, this is happening in June, um, which is only a couple months away, by the way. If people aren't prepared for those inevitabilities, they could find themselves in a world of hurt in the short term, not even the long term. But the fact is, we're changing the way that we communicate every single day. Um, millennials aren't a huge part of our customer base at this moment but they're inching closer to our customer base every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but most of the millennials that I know, it's odd to call, for them to pick up the phone and call someone or to be called without someone first sending a text message and saying, do you have a minute to talk? Um, I have a couple sales reps who it's my job to answer the phone when they call. Literally, it's, it's one of the things that's written right at the top of the list of things that I'm supposed to do every day. Um, but some of these younger ones will send me a text message first. Hey, do you have a minute? Like, sure. Um, and so as those people become part of our consumer base, the way that we communicate with them is going to have to change to match their preferred communication style. So yeah, 10 years from now, there won't be a call center. We're not going to be you know, just picking up the phone and dialing the heck out of our leads until they pick up the phone because the phone will never ring for them. It's just that simple. Mm. So there's going to be, I mean, God only knows what it's going to be, right? Um, it could be video. It could be people just won't communicate other than in writing for, you know, simple day-to-day -day tasks. They're not going to pick up the phone and talk to you about it. What a crazy time. What a crazy time. Um, I, I do think we're going to see um, a lot more of, uh, as the Gen Z and the millennials, um, you know, start getting up into and getting more purchasing power. Um, I do think organizations are going to need to think very deeply around um, how do you support text. Um, and um, I still have some skepticism on chat in particular, um, that just because I, I think a lot of organizations have not done a great job of implementing chat effectively so far. Um, but I think text will be huge. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to be important to continue to expand the ways people can communicate with us and we can communicate with them. I don't know that I agree that the human interaction will go away entirely because there are still those people who, especially with our services, I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I mean, especially on the basement finishing side, being more involved, that's more of a design build process. We're in a really good spot there actually from, from, from this talking point, because I think that people are still going to want to pick up the phone and ask some questions and have some interaction, but 
but definitely more service-based goods and, and services, I would say. I can see that becoming a scenario where they're they're erring away entirely from having to talk, you know, and, and so what will that method of communication be otherwise? How do we make sure we're capturing um, what we consider to be a good lead or a good appointment, which is all decision makers and homeowners are present and available for the appointment. They own the home. They've dedicated adequate time for the consultation. They qualify for the work we perform. Making sure those things aren't lost in that new method of communication, I think will be a hurdle. We'll have to, you know, demo rate might suffer, which I believe will happen and has happened with some of the newer communication uh, mm -hmm. platforms that we've implemented here. So it's going to be just another learning curve, right? Like we've talked about from the, you know, another almost startup that we're in where we're going to have some trial and error and we can't freak out. We just got to keep, keep making adjustments until we get it right and have that sense of urgency. And we should be in a good place. I mean, the good news is for people who are listening to this that are in the industry, um, you know, maybe this isn't good news for some of them, but I'm 39 years old. So I'm still relatively young, I think for the company I, I have here, but there are a lot of companies out there that where the CEO maybe isn't on the cutting edge of technology, right? So I think for the younger generation of business owners, you know, they're going to be in a good spot to take advantage of the fact that maybe some of those companies that aren't prepared for this or, or don't have it in their bag of tricks or don't have a Chris Hove in their organization to implement these things, um, you know, that's going to open up some market share, I think, for the companies that have a little bit more of a tech savvy uh, foundation. Part of this Boom. is going to be a, a, a sweet handoff too, right? So you can, to some degree, you might have to earn somebody's trust um, via text message, right? You might have to build enough value in who you are and what you have in order to transition that to a voice call. Um, and I think that'll be part of what this becomes um, in, the, in the shorter term even. Um, you may not have the opportunity to get somebody to pick up the phone. Um, it's just as simple as that. But you might be able to start out with a text conversation, um, you know, where you build enough value in who you are and what you have to say that it makes sense. Like, hey, do you mind if I dial you right now so that we can knock this out in, in two minutes instead of 20 minutes? And I, I think that, you know, that sweet little handoff from one technology to the other and, and training people to be proficient in the written word, which, by the way, most people are not proficient at being um, compelling in, via the written word. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a skill that it's almost being lost right now because people are the, the expectations uh, in the written word have decreased exponentially over time as we use text messaging, you know, short format texting to where people, they can't make a succinct, compelling um, statement or ask the right questions. So there's going to be a, a different mode of um, training that has to happen. There's some people that, you know, you give them a microphone and somebody listening and people are compelled naturally by them. We've got a lot of them in our call center, uh, but you give them a keyboard and say, you're going to have to earn this person's trust with this keyboard before they're even going to give you the opportunity for that real conversation. Maybe a vastly different person that we have to recruit. Cannot wait to see what you guys do. I think, uh, you know, congrats on all the success that Matrix has had. Uh, congrats on the being on the cutting edge and looking uh, three, four, five steps ahead rather than just what's in front of you guys. 
And uh, really excited to have you guys as a partner too. So thank you so much to Matrix Grasso. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to Chris. Uh, really good having you guys on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Mark and team. We've, we've been very pleased with what you've provided us over on the Matrix side and obviously as well on the Grasso side. We, I understand things have been percolating all over the place for, for both of us. And I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. We have a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Another event we're planning, by the way, in August um, in the Chicagoland area, which hopefully you guys will be a part of that, an owner's camp that we're going to do on the Grasso side. And we're going to continue to test and pilot things over here at Matrix to then take to that, that Grasso audience. And you guys, I, I know you guys are going to be a big part of that. And we appreciate everything, all the support. Beautiful. Thank you guys again. Uh, take care and have a good one. My pleasure. See you guys.